Our reading this morning is from Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. You can find it on page 230 in your pew Bible, the time that Mr. Brian Heath books his dentist appointment. Tooth hurdy. It's a, it's a joke. He does it every time. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Machlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from, the, from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And when they had lived there for about 10 years, both Machlon and Kilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons or her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had had consideration for his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O God of grace and God of glory, on your people pour your power. Help us see wisdom in your word today. Help us um, desire to know you better. In, your, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this summer, we've been challenging ourselves with practices, spiritual disciplines that we can try out in our lives. This has been a journey for new Christians and lifelong believers, and the discipline selected for us today is study. Now, this is an educated crowd, so study might not be intimidating, but for some, like the high school students I see in the room, the word just might send shivers down your spine, and that's okay. Um, as the seminarian, I, I presume that when we're talking about study, it's about talking about studying the Bible, right? Studying scripture, something we can all do. And why study the Bible? I will say that for me, study, reading the scriptures intensely, is at least equal to, if not more important than, worship in sustaining my life of faith. No offense to my colleagues, um, that's, that's me. This is the first time I've been in the sanctuary for worship since March 15, 2020. Uh, I've been outside with students all the time that we've been back. And that's okay for me because I am refilled and refueled by study, week by week. Now the method of study I wanna share this morning is the fruit of some of my own seminary coursework. So it's not like somebody else wrote this 
or you have a real authority telling you, this is, this is how I do it. You don't have to do it this way. Um, go as deep and or as shallow as you want. Basically, time and your own curiosity are the things that limit you in, in what we're going to do. Now, we're reading Ruth today because I also have a final essay due on Ruth this coming Saturday. So you're getting two seminary classes in one sermon. The theme is study, all right? So the, meth the method is simply four questions that you ask when you're reading a text. But these four questions come with a few big assumptions. So let's start there. Oh, yes. And if you're in church today, you have notes, because I felt like if the topic is study, you got to take notes. <laughs> now, assumption number one, whatever you're studying, you've got to read it multiple times. Multiple readings required. Scripture isn't the newspaper or a novel. It's best in smallish chunks that you can read over and over again. Reading different translations is a bonus level of this, but sometimes you just have to slow down long enough to notice the details you're overlooking. This is where I was going to read the text again, but we ain't got time, so you're welcome. Assumption number two, when reading scripture faithfully, it's helpful to trust the Bible is actually God's record for, and revelation for what God has done and is doing for humankind in the past and in the present and in the future. Without Jesus present to us in the flesh, the best revelation we've got is the Bible that we read with the Spirit's help and sometimes the good news about God we hear taught or proclaimed in worship. Only about five of us get up here to preach, so the thing we can all do is trust that God is going to reveal good things to us in our study of the scriptures. Now, I'm sharing these assumptions with you because they tether us to faith and faithfulness. The honest and deep study of scripture can surprise us, sometimes in a way that might be damaging to our faith. There's a reason they call seminary cemetery sometimes. Some of the things that happen in Scripture are stories, not historical recounting or scientific fact. And if we assume it is historical or fully accurate in every way, we can end up defending the Bible with more energy than we use attempting to love our neighbor. God needs our loving witness more than our defense. So even though some things may surprise us when we really study the scriptures, we trust that God is moving in those stories to change us. Okay, we're finally to the moment where we start the studying. Are you ready for the first question? Noah shakes his head no. That's okay, good. This is the first question you ask when you're gonna read a passage. You ready for this? Maybe a, maybe a drum roll. Oh, Brian, you're down there, but some, can I get a drum roll, everybody? The first question is, who were they? Really? Yeah. Big surprise, these questions will all lead to more questions. 
Who are the characters in the story? When does it take place? And what are the relationships with each other? Not just who are the characters, but the authors and the audience. What did it all mean for them? I know that's a lot, but it's study. That's our topic. Now, some of these things you can find in a study Bible or a commentary or with a simple Google search, historical context, Book of Ruth, easy. And in Ruth's case, the story is set in the time of the judges, after Moses and before King David. Call it 1100 BCE. We've got a family with two sons who comes from old little town of Bethlehem. That's Beit Lechem, house of bread or house of food in the Hebrew, except there's no, there's no food in the house. And they go to a foreign country in search of a better life. Dad dies. Son, sons marry Moabite wives, which is forbidden in the law, by the way. And nobody has children in those 10 years of marriage. And then the sons die. And it's Naomi and her two foreign daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. We've got three widowed women. All are likely to be perceived as unable to have children. None of them have any security. They've got nothing. And the family matriarch is not even a Moabite where they're living. She doesn't belong there. And they won't belong where she's trying to go. And you can start to see that you can draw out some meaning from the story just understanding who they were. You probably already do this if you are in a Bible study. And if you look into who the authors were or who the audience that first received the story might have been, there's more meaning to be found. Who were they can get pretty deep. And I want to talk about the audience a little bit more, but we need to ask the second question. Okay, here it is. To what is the text responding? To what is the text responding? One of the great things about the Bible is that it's a library that's developed over many years, and the people who wrote parts of it or put it all together, they knew previous writings that would also become part of the Bible. Like Isaiah had read or heard at least parts of Genesis, right? My favorite example of the text referencing or responding to some other part of the Bible is how Jesus starts the parable of the prodigal son. There once was a man with two sons. Simple. But which two sons? Machlon and Kilion? Cain and Abel? Jacob and Esau, Moses and Aaron, James and John. Things are interrelated. Scripture interprets Scripture. Now, if you're, own, if you're on your own studying and you don't have some silky-voiced, attractive preacher dropping the sweet nectar of knowledge, you can look in the margins or footnotes of your Bible for notes that editors will leave for you and help us point to how one scripture connects to another. And if, and if you don't have a Bible like that, I can help you find one. They're great. Now, sometimes our passage isn't responding to scripture entirely, but an event or an argument or even a culture war. Work with me here. 
Remember when, and it wasn't too long ago, y'all suffered through weeks and weeks of Ezra and Nehemiah? And remember how Ezra, or was it Nehemiah, was like, hey, all you dudes with non-Jewish wives, send them away with your mixed-race kids too. Right? That wasn't great. Well, many scholars think that the story of Ruth is written down not around the time of the judges or shortly thereafter, but after the people are coming back from the exile. The audience for the story are those just returned to the land, same time as Ezra and Nehemiah. And so it's an argument against Ezra's marriage prohibitions. And if you didn't already like Ruth, now you've got a great reason. She sticks it to Ezra. That's one way to read the story. And there's, there are more ways to see how Ruth is responding to other parts of the Bible or other historical situations. But I have two more questions for your studies, so let's keep going. Question number three, who are we? When any of us is reading something, we bring our culture, our biases, our privileges, our baggage, our education, and so much more to how we read and interpret. And we are all individuals, but I want us to remember that the study and interpretation of Scripture is a communal work. So I want us to ask, who are we, even if who I, who I am or who am I is part of it? We ask, who are we to understand how our identity might impact what we pay attention to when we read? Like, my politics might be a little more open to immigration than yours, or ours as a group might be a little more open than another church's. So the opening of Ruth stands out to me, and, and maybe to all of us, as a border-crossing story. That's just an example. We're not going to get into that right now. We also ask who we are to see ourselves in the story. When we put ourselves in the story, it helps us understand what to do or what not to do, or for whom to be compassionate. When I'm reading the Gospels, I try to remember I have more in common with Roman citizens far away whose armies occupy Jesus' country, more in common with them, than I do with his first disciples. Because within this body, we live amongst, and many of us are, part of the richest 1% of the entire world, probably of all human beings ever. Yet, because we all know someone, or of someone, who is in the richest 1 1,000th of 1%, we compare our lives to them, and we don't realize where we are, who we are. So for us, to read the story of three women at the bottom of the economic and social hierarchy, we might miss a few things. It's hard to put ourselves in their shoes. But if you've ever lost a spouse, or a child, or both, or if you've moved for a job and been disappointed by what happened next, maybe you can relate just a little to the story we read. Perhaps we need to imagine ourselves as one of the men who've died. Elimelech, or Machlon, or Kilion. What are we leaving behind for our families? Is that all squared away? 
See, we're, we're located in our own time by our relationships and our histories. And then we can locate ourselves in the story too. And that's why we ask, who are we? All right, on to our last question. But wait, study squad, we need to review. I'll just say the assumptions really quick, but you'll give me the questions. Assumption one, multiple readings required. Assumption two, scripture is the story of God's relating with humankind. Assumption three, a response is expected. All right, now, somebody out here. Question one, tell me, what was it? There we go. All right. It's, you know, it's hard in the masks. Question two. Oh, good. They're doing well, online, online watchers. Question three. Great. And now question four, related to all the ones we've heard. Oh, we'll get there. Yeah. What might the text mean to people different from us? That's question four. What might it mean to people different from us? Too often, I'd say, when reading a passage, we think there's one or two ways to read a story. And in general, I think agreement on the basic meaning and plot of the story is helpful. But one of the things time in seminary has really taught me, has really emphasized for me, is how much the perspectives of other people who are different from me enhance my understanding of the story. Even if it's me trying to read as another person. So we're going to do an experiment. If you've got your notes, you'll see, think of someone or some group different from you or from us, right? Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your house cleaner. Maybe it's your Muslim neighbors. Write it down. Now, grab your Bible at home or your pew Bible, and read those first 10 verses of Ruth with this in mind. What, what would stand out to me if I were that person? What would I focus on? If you'd like to, please pause the podcast now and read the first 10 verses of the first chapter of the book of Ruth, and then resume playing when you're done. Now this week, I imagined myself reading it as a woman in Kabul. Steve Fainer may not know desperation. Not at all, really. But Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, in the women of Afghanistan, this week certainly do. If you're just trying to survive, like Naomi is, do you want people coming with you or not? Or if you think you're dead weight for others who might survive, maybe Naomi thinks that, do you try to leave them behind? The story can pull us in new ways as we imagine others reading and making meaning of it and seeing not just ourselves, but other people in our world in the scriptures. Now, I know you might have more notes along the way, or no notes at all, fine. 
Trying to see it in a new light is the main thing here. And after all these assumptions, questions, and examples from our passage this morning, I know we haven't landed on one take-home nugget of comfort for you. The guys in my Grove group, they like comforting nuggets. But the nugget is the question themselves, right? You can study scripture. You can do it. We will never exhaust the potential meaning for our lives when we read and study the Bible. Reread this very same passage in a few weeks, and you might find something else to think about. Take these questions and read the whole book of Ruth over the next week or so, and you'll discover so much. There are new characters to meet, new problems to solve, unexpected kindness, rags to riches bootstrapping, and nudity. All that in four chapters. Now, with any sort of study, you get out of it what you put in. Most of us aren't going to ask all four of these questions when we read. But if I can get you to ask one or two, that's a win. And you're studying. Because scripture is the witness to God's work in the world. It's worth multiple readings. It expects a response, even if your only response is to return to the next part of the story. I hope you'll make time to study the scriptures this week. And, and if you have a little more time, email me what you find. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have listened kindly to me. Amen. Amen.